We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast, Alex Hurst, Charlotte Robson and Simon Campbell, and we're here to have a conversation about one year on, almost, from the Newcastle United takeover. I've already been interviewed a couple of times by journalists doing their big one-year-on piece, so ahead of pretty much every single podcast and content creator uh, talking about the takeover one year on, we thought would be a bit sneaky and try and get ours in early so that you definitely listen to ours. And here you are. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Charlotte, it's nearly a year. For the re- for the purpose of this show, for the rest of the show, I'm just going to say it's been a year rather than having to um, unnecessarily... I mean, it's like days, isn't it? Yeah, it's it? days. So. People might be listening to this after the year. Who knows? Uh, it's been it's been a year. Um, feelings right now, just looking back to that small period of our lives, that takeover period, that kind of couple of days either side. Yeah, it just it fe- it's gone so fast, hasn't it? It that period was just very mad for me personally. Like lots of people wanting to talk about it, lots of news outlets and stuff wanting vox pops from basically anyone um lots of people ambushing me with um amnesty people and things like that um yeah i just i can't believe it's been a year i can't believe it's been a year there's been so much change and you know people can be frustrated with our the most recent result is bournemouth people can be frustrated with that but actually step back and take stock of the last year and what a cr- crazy like year it's been I kind of just have a s- smile like starting to form on my face starting to think about how far we've come in that time um so a wild brilliant year really so I same question mate yeah uh, I, it doesn't feel like um I don't feel like I can't believe it's been a year I like it it's it's just been a nice year of supporting football again hasn't it for for us in in a totally football fan sense it has felt like what it felt like growing up playing watching Newcastle play football you go at the match with anticipation you can hope and expect some sort of result or at least a performance that goes with it when we lose football matches you come away disappointed not because um, the team was terrible and lost the game willingly almost uh, you, you come away because you think actually we could have won that you come away thinking the players have played really well and we've, we've lost a game of football we've lost a competitive game of football so that's been the, just the biggest change for me is that reverting to almost well, it's like childhood for me. The last time Newcastle were like competitive and playing proper football and trying to win football matches um, every week. Uh, I suppose there was a short period under Pardew as well. But um, yeah, basically, it's that feeling of, of engaging with the football club, looking forward to the weekend rather than going dutifully um, and just kind of having a, a city that cares about its football team again. It, it came back very quickly. I thought it would take a bit longer, but almost within a few weeks of the takeover, you had a, a city that was alive with football again, which had been missing for... 15 plus years so that's that's been my big takeaway from it it's been a it's been a transformative year like you've both touched on um maybe the first thing i want to talk about is is just how well it's gone like i don't want to be hyperbolic i don't want to give credit where it isn't due to people who own football clubs but if you'd have told fans players staff at the club owners that in the first year not only would we escape relegation but we would be able to sign some of the quality of players that we've signed and and hence you know the club have been knocked back by many footballers I think but the ones they've got 
are just extra. Like Bruno Gomares is, is the obvious one. Um, Alexander Isak. But to win as many Premier League games of football as they have, and almost, I think, maybe the best comparison is try and think back to some of the... The club was chaos before. It was chaos. It was understaffed. Um, it was... It was it was run badly, in my opinion. It it didn't do what it was supposed to do. So while the club may have maintained staying in the Premier League was its job, that to a fan, to this fan anyway, isn't the purpose of a football club to stay in the Premier League. That's not why a football club exists, um, or solely exists anyway. And if you look at the chaos on and off the pitch of, if you look at the chaos of um, Southampton at home last year, two two draw. Look at the chaos of Leeds at home. Look at the chaos of. Of, of of Wolves away where just in front of you no one had any clue what was going on off the pitch, no one had any clue what was going on, there was no communication no one knew if they were going to get season ticket money back for a long time, no one knew if we were even going to try to sign a player, turns out we weren't going to try and sign a new player in that transfer window and all of the stuff that came before it and compare it to the stability of today, I think even though it, it might feel natural this is what we were told it would be the opposite of. We were told that we were leaving stability with Mike Ashley, safe and stable, even though we knew what in front of our eyes, eyes was chaos, and it was going to be chaos moving forward, and it's been anything but. It's been, it's like, I'm I'm in awe of how well it's gone. Like in, in their wildest dreams, surely they wouldn't have think it's gone as well as it has. And, you know, I want to hear from you two a little bit, maybe on what I've just said and your thoughts, but, you know, for people listening, compare the... Wolves away fixture or the Southampton at home fixture to Manchester City at home this season. I know we haven't hit those highs since because of injuries, but comp- you know, compare for that to take place in less than a year in kind of ten months. I don't know how you do that. For me, it's the um, it's the like seeming like entire attitude shift of the entire club. See, seeing that is it, it's not just the bringing in Eddie Howe, who's brought a different mentality to our players and obviously brought in new players who have enhanced that. Kieran Trippier is like my standout for that. He's got this incredible sort of leadership skill and and sort of like positive mentality. And and I think so does Eddie Howe. And that has sort of bled down and, 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 and the other players are feeling that. But it's also this like, um, this the whole mood is different in the club around the club the um people going to the club shop like no one went to the club shop before and people are like i, I went with, to, i had a drink with a friend before bournemouth and um we walked up to the ground together before i met you alex and he was like i'm just actually gonna go to the club shop before the game and i was like god like imagine someone saying that <laughs> one year ago i'd be like why <laughs> like don't don't go there. You're putting money in Mike Ashley's pockets, or you're doing this. Like don't do that. Um, and and now you're just like brilliant. Yeah, like I hope you get something you want. Like I hope <laughs> you have a great time. And um, and 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 just this sort of the smiles on the faces of the people that work at the club as well. And the and yeah, it's just. And, and and people are working at the club. <laughs> That's also new. Like we've you know we've got people working on the fan side of things that never did really before, and like a dedicated job for that. And and that we've got a CEO and we've got a director of football. Like those are enormous, enormous things that have changed the whole mood. In like again, don't want to be hyperbolic, and it really is easy to get carried away. But like the city, particularly the city of people who follow the football but the, it just feels like a lighter place to be yeah i, I don't i don't have too much more to add to that because you, you've captured it pretty well um yeah if, if you if you take it beyond the football club itself and the uh, the city itself like shops sell newcastle united related stuff and sell it well yeah um, you know people buy stuff from from gift shops from from everything else like i think uh geordie gifts in the in the granger market in particular has probably done very well out of of newcastle being a thing again and people liking and interacting with it but people buy newcastle shirts people buy Put put the names on the back. We've got players now. You've mentioned Bruno. Like that, everyone's got Bruno G on the back of their shirt. Whereas for years, you just you just didn't bother, did he? There's no name. You'd maybe get like a Jonas or something. But um, for about 15 years, there's been very few players that were back of the shirt worthy. But now you've got people walking around with Bruno on the back. You got people walking around with Botman on the back. You got people walking around with Isaac on the back. I dare say um, Wilson. Um, 
although it wasn't signed before, he's become a player now that like has become a bit talismanic when he's when he's fit. Um, the Newcastle players have got like um, a connection with the fans again. People people really care about them. People really like want to interact with them. There's the social media between players and 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 fans is is different again now. It's not just like you were shy at the weekend. It's not just like okay. a total disjoint. It's like there's really like love and and uh, Joe Linton probably encapsulates that perfectly, doesn't he? He went from being basically an outcast who everyone hated because he was so bad to he's an absolute fan favourite and everyone buzzes for him. So that kind of transformation in the relationship between the fans and the city and the football club has just been so ginormous that I think it's took us all a bit by surprise by how quickly that happened. In a way, it's... um, I'm not going to make this miserable podcast, but in a way, it's so sad that we were kind of robbed of that for so long because it, as I said, it, it, it so quickly people were so ready and a lot of so's from me there. So sorry. Um, but yes, very, very quickly people engaged. In, in, it was almost immediate and it has lasted. It, it wasn't a sort of superficial, yeah, I'm back with the club. Like it has lasted. People were a year on and people are more engaged than ever people are frustrated when we play you know reasonably good game of football like um it's it's and and to think god we had 15 years pretty much of like dross and disengagement and disenfranchisement with the club and just feeling like what is the point it it was so it, it was it was right there it was so easy and people was really wanted to engage with the club so I'm not gonna make it sad because we're there now but god we had a whole we had a whole 15 years where this could have been the case just just one last point on the on the contrast of that kind of yeah you mentioned the Southampton game last season Alex um that that 2-2 draw I was there and I came away from that feeling zero emotion you know we scored a last minute in quotation marks winner only for it to still be subsided by an equalizer in like the 97th minute whatever it was but I didn't. N- neither of those goals really affected me. I was just like, "All right, okay, we might we might get away with this." Bruce Bruce lives to fight another day. They scored. It's like, well, he, he's not going to go to draw at home, and he just kind of came away from that stadium thinking, "I've learned nothing about our team. I've learned nothing about where where we're trying to get to." Um, and he just kind of went home, and thank God that's over. Contrast that to the most recent game at home to um, who did we play? Bournemouth. Bournemouth. <laughs> so many Bs, my cousin's brain. Uh, Bournemouth, um, and we've come away with a with a one-one draw, and really, really disappointed. Like I was as gutted after that game as I can remember being in a long, long time because we dropped the points because you know we, we didn't play as well as we would have liked because I really wanted us to win the game and conceding that goal um, like really affected me, and I was I was really just <laughs> upset. I, you know, I'm, I'm maybe being a bit hyperbolic here, but you know what I mean. Like. I was emotionally engaged with that game and came away from it emotionally drained after 90 minutes of frustration and not and not getting the result we wanted. I came away really gutted and and caring that that had happened. Um, a year ago, I just didn't. I didn't have one ounce of care left for what the club had become. Well said, both. I think we'll uh, we'll break now for a message from our sponsors. I'll hand you over to Charlotte. Guess what, everybody? UEFA Champions League Soccer is streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Nine months of heart-stopping, hold-your-breath exhilaration is underway with the biggest stars, top teams and craziest fan bases across Europe. I've yet to see evidence of a crazy fan base, by the way, in the Champions League. Watch every match from the group stage through the knockout rounds as Benzema and Real Madrid Defend their title against Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, PSG, Barcelona and more in soccer's biggest club competition. That is for now until they ruin it with another one. (laughs) So don't miss a single sweat-soaked second, I hate saying that, of regulation time, stoppage time and extra time. And stream every match of the UEFA Champions League live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. I like how they clarify that you get the stoppage time. Yeah, and, and extra time. And like, extra yeah. time. And yeah. extra time. Sweatsuits. I also never call it regulation time. Like, are we still in regulation time? No, nobody says that. No one no one does at all. It is nice to get a weekly reminder that the Champions League does exist. Yes. You know, I'd forgotten. Um, yes. But yeah, stream it on Paramount Plus if that is if that is available to you in the region in which you live in the world. Are you missing out on your favourite show because it's not available in your region? Try keeping your private time private. Well, let me introduce NordVPN. Uh, If you're bored of UK Netflix, 
because it said US because US company. Yeah. Uh, why not take it for a spin in the US using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. Uh, no need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime. Oh, thank God. <laughs> when NordVPN brings, brings it right to you with 5,000 plus server options, no show is out of your reach. Using the link at the bottom of the description of this podcast, you can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan and get a month free. We all love to binge. Don't know what binge means in particular because it doesn't specify. I assume binge it means television shows, television, yeah, television shows. shows. But privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. NordVPN have also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Amazing. Don't forget, there is literally no risk to your 30-day trial with a money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, we will pretend this awkward thing never happened. Don't blame me if it doesn't work. (laughs) I'm just reading out the ads. Check out the link in the description to this podcast. Um, Please click it. it. It makes us look good to our paymasters. Let's get back to it, though. Let's get back to our takeover one-year conversation. Charlotte, you mentioned before about the the fact that the club has not only um, exceeded, in my opinion, all expectations on the pitch, but off the pitch as well, just seems to be doing things, maybe things which aren't as, as heralded across... They're not as sexy. Yeah, they are, and, and that's that's probably right because football is about winning games. That's there's nothing there is nothing else to it. You can do anything in any other area. It can be the best community club in the world. You got to win games of football. Ask Everton. Um, <laughs> and but what they've done in going to two very well run football clubs in different parts of the world in Brighton and Atalanta, um, and taking their most important almost mm. people is the most on Newcastle United thing. It, it it really is absolutely remarkable that we've gone from a club which basically had Lee Charney doing every single job, um, and then a lot, a lot of people would argue not very well, to these to these guys who've come in in Eels and Ashworth, who are operating, so it seems from the outside looking in, at the very top of their industry in terms of their ability to get their jobs done. I'm like... I still can't believe it. And, you know, doesn't mean you can beat Bournemouth, but Mick Martin said it really well on, on a blog of the Truth Face site. Newcastle didn't lose, uh, didn't fail to beat Bournemouth because of long-standing structural issues around the football club yeah. that would make it impossible for them to beat Bournemouth. They lost because they underperformed on the day and had injuries, essentially. Yeah. And that is a comforting place. And, you know, boos at the end of a game are always very difficult to actually gauge how a fan base feels because... You know, I think it's been a little bit kind of international break, need of content stuff from some mm. media organisations or fan outlets about is Eddie Howe under pressure? You know, well, this week uh, Everton at home tickets went on sale, which is a televised game at 7.30 on a Wednesday and sold out within. You know, t- you couldn't get two seats together beyond 20 minutes of logging in. So the demand is very much still there to watch Eddie Howe's new cattle. All of that's a nonsense. But yeah, j- j- just... Just the fact, I mean, there's still a long way to go. This, you know, they, 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 they talked a lot about a training ground at the start. We haven't heard about a new training ground, so we haven't heard about that in a long time. Uh, there's probably other positions within the club. Um, me and Charlotte, through the trust, you know, we speak to the new the new head of um, support and services, brand new position, which, again, under the old regime, just simply wouldn't have existed. Um, it really is like a different football club. We've had... Um, you know, some improvements to the interior of St. James's Park, which is nice, which hadn't happened in a long time. It seems like they've got all the little things right, as well as the big things. Mm-hmm. The big things are the most important. We'll talk about football and transfers in a bit, but the fact that there seems to be, well, the fact that there is a team of people there working behind the scenes, it just means that, you know, when, when Bournemouth come to St. James's Park, and maybe they're not the best example, because I used to use clubs like Manchester City. So, in fact, I'll leave Bournemouth behind and go to Manchester City. It wasn't just... Manchester City's um, squad that you had to try and beat, which was three or four times the value of your own mm. or five times the wage budget of your own. You're at a huge disadvantage there anyway. It was the fact that even regardless of that, those players trained better, ate better. Uh, they um, worked in a more professional, uh, modern environment to suit their needs. They were supported by a superior team of people off the pitch in their day-to-day lives. 
Um, the academy was furnished with better people and better facilities. So how do you beat the team on the pitch? But then also when you look at the team off the pitch, you think, well, right, okay, we'll beat you 2-1 this year under Rafa Benitez in 2019. But next year, that gap is just going to keep getting bigger. And now, hopefully, whilst not at the Manchester City, whilst at our direct rivals in the league, and I'm talking about like probably Brighton here, Leicester, um, Wolves, those kind of teams, West Ham below the top six who want to be in the top six, I kind of strongly believe... Um, that we are going to be not in as good a position or a position to compete with them in that respect, but a better position, and that that's why I'm con- like I'm just convinced we're going to be absolutely class. Convinced. We are class, man. <laughs> yeah, we already are. We are yeah. class. <laughs> well, that's a weird thing, haven't we? We've, we've basically um, it's maybe a bit early to say, but we've caught up those teams in the space of a year. You know, we were back in that conversation with with Brighton, with Wolves, with teams that I thought we'd lost so much ground on. I thought. This is going to take a long, long time, even when the takeover did happen. It's going to take a long, long time to get back to that first pack of teams before you can even start talking about top six. But we've, like you say, by getting everything right, by doing all the right things and by building on and off the pitch progressively the whole time since they started, we've kind of bridged that gap to those chasing pack already. Um, I think uh, it it remains to be seen what the uh, next step is because that next step is so difficult and very little, very few teams have managed it ever um and you know it'll be new to ashworth it'll be new to air eels you know the they don't know much about transforming it yeah they've made us a stable premier league team very quickly you know we're we're not going to be talking about relegation ever again i don't think like that's brilliant but that next step of making us competitive making us a team that's on the you know on the betting slip for winning things is is a totally different ballpark i believe they can do it i think they've put the right people in place but it's still a massive challenge and one i look forward to yeah, very much so. Um, let's talk about uh, the ownership structure a little bit more then because it's a little bit surprised in both of the uh, media interviews I've done so far about the, fir- the first year of the takeover. I'm surprised is not the, the right word, actually, because I, I understand why why I was asked. I suppose I just, just was a little, you know, didn't expect it to still be as big a conversation maybe in the media. That's probably my naivety, the national media this is, about our ownership. And I was asked, you know, how how it's been kind of since beyond the kind of initial conversations about the fact that Newcastle United are owned by the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia and what that means for uh, Newcastle fans and the human rights abuses in Saudi Arabia. And I just, I don't know about you guys, I don't, I don't want to pull the wool over anyone's eyes here. I don't think I've ever tried to on the subject. I just, it's just not part of the conversation every single day, every single week every single game with Newcastle United fans. It is simply just not part of the conversation. And I don't think um, that will apply to every single person listening to this, but I think it will be the vast, vast majority. That's my perception. Guys, what do you think? What, 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 how, how has it affected you? And what do you Same kind of question about the rest of the fan base? Yeah, I think, I think you, you know, you immediately start thinking about what's going on on the pitch. Who are we signing? That's our preoccupation. That's what we talk about. So, you know, I don't know that there are many podcasts um, of other clubs that spend a lot of time properly analysing the other um, interests of their majority ownership. There's, you know, there's only so much you can say. And I'm not going to sit here and be like, not bothered. Because, like, you know, it's a a thing that is, is a bother. Like, that sounds really, like, reductive. But it is, it's like a thing that you should think about and talk about. But... As far as it, as far as I, as a football fan, um, interact with with that element, I just, I just don't really like. I'm, I'm watching what's on the pitch. I'm thinking about what they're doing at the club, and and that's really sort of as far as it goes for me. And 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 you know, and I know there are lots of finger pointing journalists who will say that, that 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 makes me a bad person and you know what there's that add it to the list there's tons of other stuff that makes me a bad person but i it, it it's 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 ju- it's ju- you're right it's just not part of the current conversation is it i think i think it's a really good point to make because uh, to, to talk about other clubs as well because it's it, it, part of the conversation hasn't even come into it with other clubs you know we were told when this happened or oh, the rest of the premier league will be into you about this Funnily enough, other football clans of other clubs don't care either. Mm. A- apart from you know a kind of vocal minority part of fans groups or whatever or social media. When the day the takeover happens, um, you know there's a kind of fan group loop. I'm not saying the name of the grandparent organisation, the parent organisation. Grandparent. So it's a grandparent organisation. Oh, yeah, 
the parent of the parent organization um sure. and it was just like this is a, you know other other supporters trusts and fan groups were like this is a disgrace we will never treat newcastle the same again we will be lobbying against it and it was all it was all noise yeah. not nothing's happened nothing's been done i think when we played spurs there was a banner with about 16 people outside and there were 16 people I'm not saying you shouldn't do that i'm not saying that's a bad thing to do i'm just saying it is not representative mm. of how football fans treat their sport for better or for worse um so i really like that point charlotte well done <laughs> great point yes i live for approval so that has <laughs> buoyed me yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because the, the situation hasn't gone away. Nothing has changed. Yeah. But you can't just have the same conversation week on week on week, can you? Like, yeah, we've we've talked about it. We've talked about it in this podcast. It was in the news a bit. There was lots of questions being asked. And the answer was kind of the same. It's like, what do you want us as football supporters to say to you? What, what, it's totally out of our control. Um, and it's following the same pattern as, as all the other all the other um, big money with question marks over it that came in the Premier League. Like, nobody talks about Man City's owners anymore. Nobody really talked about Roman Abramovich until Russia started a war. Like, it was absolutely fine until that point because like like you say charlotte people who watch and support football watch it for the players they watch it for the manager they watch it for the for the for the sport yes football was polluted a long long time ago with large amounts of money from various sources some of which were questionable but we can't just keep talking about that over and over and over again um you know there will be small groups that alex says and i i absolutely commend them for still for still caring and wanting to ask those questions that's fine. I agree with them. I wish I had the same kind of enthusiasm for it because questions should be asked. But ultimately, ultimately, the vast majority of the country don't don't want to talk about that over and over and over again. The football is always has been and still is a release from from real life for yeah. for so many people. It is for me certainly. You know, you, you, you finish work on a Friday, you look forward to going to a football match and talking to your mates and having a few drinks and enjoying the match. That's what it is and always has been to me. The politics of it just doesn't really touch the sides in terms of, yes, I'm aware of it, but that's not why I <laughs> go to football much. Is that not why I care about football? Um, we've got a massive World Cup coming up in, in November. That Everyone's talking about it a little bit now, but as soon as it starts, all anyone will be talking about is, oh, England lost to such and such. Yeah. Oh, did you see that game where Peru won? Like, you know, It's not... Football is unique in that sense. It doesn't matter what happens off the pitch. It will always have the same result and people will talk about the football. So it's interesting, but... I, I, yeah, I think we're following the exact same pattern as all the other questions that happen over over these things, and, and it just kind of it doesn't go away. It goes quiet because there's only so many conversations you can have about it. When ultimately the people who would have any ability to change it aren't going to. So, you know, there we are. They're especially not going to now. Well, it it also serves uh, as a nice little reminder between the realities of of social media and real life because one of the interviews I've done so far, which was by, sorry, I sort of said by an international organisation, news organisation, put to me things said on Twitter, and it's just like, by individual fans, who I, I don't know who they are, it's kind of proof of the existence of sports washing, and I'm just like, man, I, like, I don't I don't care. Like, I don't care if some guy on Twitter's, like, praising Mohammed bin Salman for um, exchanging um Ukrainian prisons or like it, it literally has nothing to do with my life like I don't I honestly if you hadn't said it to me now I never would have heard of it I don't spend a lot of time on social media myself please follow me at TFL <laughs> um, but, but, it, but, but it almost seems like you've had to reduce the argument to that it almost feels a bit like you've lost in my opinion for, for how aggressive the coverage was towards Newcastle fans mm. I'm talking about here you want to talk, have a conversation about um, the validity of foreign ownership in the Premier League, particularly foreign ownership by uh, nation states, I'm here for it. Um, I'm 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 here for it. That's a conversation that that should happen, but doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't happen, and that's and uh, to say it again. And I'm sick of saying. I got sick of saying it last year. Football works for a lot of people. Works. It makes a lot of people a lot of money, including people who cover it. And that's not a bad thing. But also, you want me. And I say me, I mean Newcastle fans, but me because I'm part of these conversations to try and justify things which I have no say over. It just seems like an absurd conversation to have, whilst being able to acknowledge that um, human rights abuses in Saudi Arabia exist, should be spotlighted, should be highlighted, and should be taken to task. I can't do it though. The mm. idea that I can do that, or you can do it, Charlotte or Sai, or anyone listening. I extra can't do it because I'm female. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't even go <laughs> by yourself. Uh, maybe that's not true. Uh, I don't know. Um, I don't think it would be like the most warm environment for me, so I'm just yeah. going to stay home. Yeah. 
Um, I think we've, we've talked about that then. Let's let's get back to the football. Um, si, what, what are you... Sports wash are you? Exactly. <laughs> Just going to wash me sports. Um, Sai, tell me, give me um, just one, because it's a time-sensitive podcast. You know, you have to um, get involved on Patreon if you want to hear lots more me, Sai, Charlotte, and our True Faith colleagues. It's £8 a month um, for probably about six to seven extra podcasts a week on Newcastle United. We'd love to have you. Um, yes, I pick a highlight for me, please. Pick a highlight, not not including the takeover. What's the highlight been since, mate? The, the a footballing highlight um, was, I mean, my, my most enjoyable game was, was oh, I've got a couple. I, I'll be as quick as I can. Yeah. Leeds away was a fantastic experience. You know, that was the, the, the catalyst for the, the revival of Newcastle United. That was, that was the turning point for me. What a great day that was. What a great result. But the 95th minute Bruno Gamara's header against Leicester kind of, summed up the full circle that we'd come like that was pretty much safety guaranteed it was also evidence of what this Newcastle team had become that kind of a point would have been a very good result at the time but no we're going to go and score a 95th minute winner where every player busts a gut to get forward and score that goal like the Willick run Bruno running 40 yards at full pelt to then head it in like that that encapsulated the entire change of Newcastle United that was the the key moment for me I think um just to further that one the beautiful thing about the Leeds result was just how much it mattered, and yeah. it's like we hadn't mm. had a moment like that in, I don't know, in my in my life maybe, or, or certainly as an adult supporting Newcastle, something that was so consequential because Newcastle. I mean, you know, history would suggest that Newcastle would have got much better still after that, and still would still sign Bruno and and got become the good team that they became. But at the time, it was like even even me, you know, we did a podcast with um with Craig Hope at the time. And before the Leeds game, I think, mm. and it was like he's got he's got to, he's got to go there and at least get a point at Leeds. Like if you go there and lose after drawing with Watford, and you know at the time we'd hardly played, and and there was um I think there was another break after Leeds of about yeah. ten days before Everton, and it was like it was our only league game in about three weeks. And it's like if you if you go into that game and get beat by a very poor Leeds side, how 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 are you going to stay up and? Yeah, that was a real emotional day. It was kind of like we got back to the car and obviously do bits of content for Patreon. And it was just like, fuck, I'm so tired. Yeah. I'll drive home now. <laughs> After just like the easiest away game of the season, it was like I've got a 19-hour drive ahead of me. That's how I felt. This is going to sound like a weird one because obviously this hasn't been like the most impactful signing. But for me, it's sort of, and I'm going to use a word you used earlier, talismanic, because I really liked it, Simon. Um it's talismanic or like a token or like the moment I realized things had really properly changed was in the January transfer window um, and after the Cambridge game when we lost obviously to Cambridge, League One Cambridge and we lost because there was no focal point, there was no striker, we had all these chances and there was no striker and then within days that um, own, that structure, ownership structure changed the plan I think because we had they had been publicly saying we're not going out for a striker we're not doing this we're not doing this and they went and bought a striker okay they bought Chris Wood and he hasn't been the most impactful so I I, I understand that that is not um I'm not saying that that was the most amazing like purchase ever but the kind of recognition and then quick action for me was like it it just I was like oh okay they really really want this they're really really paying attention they bought you know, not a great striker, but from a relegation rival, that's a smart thing to do. Like, all of these things, like, I, I, that for me was sort of a token of, like, that this is this is a, a, an ownership that is really paying attention and really, really wants to make this work. I, I, I'm talking about the Leeds game again, but just, uh, <laughs> just to take on from that is that we beat Leeds. Uh, we then then did the uh, the interesting trip to Saudi Arabia, which seemed to do the lads wonders in terms of their their fitness levels, their their energy levels when they came back. But also we then went and bought two more players, didn't we? We bought in Bruno after winning a game, so it wasn't like mm-hmm. oh we might have enough here. It was like actually we've won a game, strike while the iron's hot. Let's just let's let's complete the job here. Let's build this squad and bring in Bruno and. Uh, Burn and targets. So Dan Burn and then yeah. target as well, yeah. Um, you know, with, with days to go in that transfer window, they could have said, all right, we'll start winning games now. We might have enough here, but they didn't. They 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 made sure and, and brought forward plans in the summer. And, and my God, what what a difference that made. And I'm so grateful that they did bring in Bruno and Burn and target because that, that just showed me that, yeah, they don't just want to, 
They don't just want to scrape survival. They want to do it comfortably so that there's something to build on. They didn't want to just finish 17th and then have to start from scratch again. It's like, right, if we're going to spend money and stay up, they had the, the foresight of, right, well, let's start building a team now. And they did that and it's, you know, it's paying dividends. So many things I want to talk about here. Keep <laughs> track of them. Such are the excellence of the points. Well, maybe we'll do a Patreon podcast. <laughs> maybe we will on the actual anniversary. Yeah. But, um, okay, so, Charlotte, I think you're right. You know what? I'd even predate... I think your point is excellent, but I'd predate the signing. I okay. think I think signing Kieran Partial Trippier. Approval. <laughs> I think the yes. signing of Kieran Trippier was just extraordinary. It was just this guy is playing in the Champions League. He is. It's not like he wasn't getting a game. He's an England international. He wants to play at the World Cup. He should play at the World Cup. And he's he. It's all. It's it's a bit like Trippier and Bruno. It wasn't just the fact that we wanted to sign them. It's the fact that they were convinced. Within the financial structure, wage structure that we already have, it wasn't like we're paying these guys 300 grand a week, far from it. And they were convinced by what our owners sold to them to come and sign for Newcastle United. That that in itself is, was extraordinary. Yes. I, I can't, you know. I mean, for me, Trippier is like the, the pinnacle signing because I think, you know, you talked about Isak and you talked about Bruno at the top of the pod. They came because of him as well, right? Trippier's bought in... Trippier, who's like this internet, like play, played in Spain, played in, played for England. You know, is this international? Yeah, you know, they. I think he is a massive part of why they came. Um, I don't want to underplay the the selling of our owners as well. I'm sure that they they talked a good game and they really do have high ambitions. But the sort of point at yeah, I guess I guess it was just the the quick. Um, turn around and the realising of what was going on is the kind of point I was trying to make. Nope, a great point. I've forgotten what I wanted to say. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. Had an, an, <laughs> the excellent point, Sai, as well. I suppose, <laughs> so sorry. Thanks. No, no I, was, I had, I had a, a further point to make about it, but I've forgotten. Never mind. Um, I, I, think, um, I think my top moment um, has probably got to be, I think maybe... I think maybe about sixty-five minutes in the Arsenal game. So I mean, you, me, and you were watched that game together, um, and we'd already taken the lead. So it was one nil, and it was just a realization that we were just better than Arsenal. Yeah. That there was, apart from a fluke or a bit of bad luck or even a bit of genius from one of the Arsenal players, there was simply no way that Arsenal, in their biggest game in a decade, were going to win that game. It was, it was, it was. Such was Newcastle's superiority, and we've only kind of seen that performance once since because of a variety of factors against Manchester City. But such was Newcastle's superiority, and it was like it was for the last twenty-five minutes of that game was able just to kind of because we have we had seats um, like just below where the owners are, like three rows below the owners in the ground, so they're good seats, um, and it's just like a chance to just almost just enjoy the previous. Yeah. Uh, how many months would it be? Like seven months or something? It was just like, this is the culmination of everything that's happened so far. In this game of football, the atmosphere was... like it, It's a very difficult one to um, compare atmospheres. You know, we've all got our own famous atmospheres. But that was just like, this This is this is the future of this football club. Uh, this is It's not going to be like every week because it depends on performance and, and uh, context of the game. But it was like Newcastle... A bit like the last two games of last season, if I put them into one, Newcastle should have been ideal opponents for Arsenal and Burnley, who had massive games. You don't want to play a top six team. You don't want to play a team battling the relegation zone. You don't want a team going for Europe. You don't want to, you know, you want to play a mid-table team with fuck all to play for. And and Newcastle were streets ahead of both. And that, yeah, that Arsenal game for me, particularly that little 65-minute spell, at the end of the game, it was just like, I'm just going to enjoy this. For the first time in a long time, even under um, Rafa Benitez in the championship, it was it was, um, it was was good, but there was a lot riding on it, and it was mm. there was a lot of tension. There was no tension in that moment yeah. because Newcastle were just so superior. And that, that in itself is almost a kind of like, and I wanted to talk about this now at the end of the show, a couple more points to make before we finish off. Um, in, I've said it before, in their wildest dreams, I don't think. Maybe I'm wrong, but it could it could not have gone as well as that. The form of the team, and that's, you know, I want to ask you the question about how much money has played in the, in the revival, and is it just a case? Because there are detractors out there who just say, ah, it's nothing special because they've just come and spent 200 million quid. Like, what, what do you expect? You should expect the kind of improvement you've got. But 
you know, try sitting there in that Arsenal game in that moment, and it, it's more than four January signings. Do you know what I mean? That was all it was. It was just four signings in January. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was it was an amazing night. Did you want to say something? Yeah, well, I think the Arsenal game, that um, you mentioned the Burnley game. Uh, you also, um, if you think, it was just the way we transformed from that nitty-gritty grinding out a 1-0 win at Leeds, and then there was a couple more like that, I think. Um, I mean, we smashed Everton, but then there was a... The Aston Villa game was very nitty-gritty. We won that one by a goal. Um, who else did we beat? Was there a Brighton 2-1 yeah, two two one. in there? Yeah. Um, very, very grinding out results. Uh, obviously, the Leicester one, last-minute winner, to the end of the season where we, we just we just smashed Norwich. Um, we, we beat Southampton 2-0 at the canter with... Um, Two with one. Bruno's, oh, I was two one, um, but yeah, we went two 0 up, didn't we? We were, we were no. comfortable. Did we not? We went one 0 down. Oh man, my memory's so bad. It just felt like we smashed them. Um, you did, didn't you? Because Pal- put Palace and Wolves in there, where they were they were tight games, but yeah. Newcastle's superiority was such that yeah. they were never really and in doubt the results. That gradual, by the point of Arsenal, where we're just winning games by being the better team, like you say, and just being able to enjoy a performance of football that we just you would not have expected to see that quickly at the point when we're already mathematically safe. And then to do the same at Burnley as well, because Burnley desperately needed to to win that game to, to stay up. And we just, it didn't take much for us to beat them. We just played really well and we were just better. Um, now we're seeing signs of, um, I, won't, I won't call it regression, but we're back to that kind of nitty gritty at the moment. We're playing much better football, but teams have worked us out and that's how football works. And it's very interesting. But the um, the general progression of, from the moment we, we were taken over to not being able to get the results straight away to, um, Having to take a few batterings from Tottenham, Leicester, um, Liverpool. I think there's a was there a Man United game before Christmas? No, Man City, yeah, Man City, yeah. um, and then the Man United game at, uh, on Boxing Day or 27th, whatever it was. And this is seeing the kind of gradual improvements, and it was gradual the whole time. There was improvements every week to the point of that Arsenal game was was what made me believe that this is a is a project that will will not stop. It will continue to improve. Whether it's incremental, you know, there'll be, there'll be weeks where it doesn't improve much and then there'll be weeks where you just see a massive, massive change and it's like, I really look forward to that. At no point are you expecting to see a huge drop off or a huge regression or a backward step. It'll be small steps, big steps, but always in the right direction. Yeah, well said. Uh, I suppose, and as we move toward the end of the show, anything uh, you guys think could have been done better anything disappointed you so far and this you know let's be let's be hypercritical here we are we've given lots of praise out yeah i've just remember part of your other question was uh was about about the money as well but i think we've i mean we've we've we, we've got to keep going back to the fact that it's all the non-signings that and their improvement mm. that that is, has been the the revelation about newcastle united that that turnaround at the start of the year wasn't yes there was some new players in there but then trip year immediately got injured and and it was all about Joe Linton. It was all about Shelby being mint again. It was Callum Wilson playing the best football of his life. It was Maximan looking like a footballer again. It was Miggy. It was you know it was all these players being class. It was Emil Kraft coming in for yeah. for for Trippier and a player who had completely written off as a professional footballer, looking like a really solid right back. It was Cher coming back from from the brink of a of a career going down the toilet. Yes, then once that had happened, players like Bruno coming back in the team. Did make a huge difference. Trippier coming back, he's class. Um, target having a proper fullback, it obviously makes a huge difference. But you could also argue that buying Kieran Trippier uh, for twelve million and signing Matty Target on loan is—they're not like you've bought the you've bought <laughs> yourselves out of relegation, is it? Like they're, they're normal signings that a team like Newcastle should always be making. So there's, there's an argument about that as well. But yeah, I think it's it's so harsh to to bring it to reduce uh, the achievements of Eddie Howe and all of those players, every single one of them, and the coaching staff. Um, to oh we've just but you've just bought good players and, and sorted yourselves out. It really, really isn't like that at all. It's really lazy. It's really lazy. It's also like, sorry, is that not what other yeah. clubs do? Is it not what a transfer window exists for? Like we we haven't we haven't broken the mold by spending some money. We've broken our mold and people aren't used to it. But for me it just belies a sort of threat. People feel that we're gonna become a proper threat. Norman and I did a full podcast analysing the exact quotes of people reducing Eddie Howe's success last season into solely financial terms, and I think we did a good job of tearing it apart. So you're not on paper and go back and listen to that. It's, uh, uh, I wouldn't say it's worth signing up for because there's lots of other good content, but it was one of my favourite ones that we did. And like you correctly say, Charlotte, um, it's, you know, it's a brilliant analysis because they basically say um, you're not allowed to play this game. You know, this game exists for the clubs that we enjoy and we like to cover. Um, 
you know, how, how dare you bring in Dan Byrne from Brighton's bench? Now you know? we've got to get a train up to Newcastle. That's so <laughs> far away. Yeah. Um, yeah. I suppose in terms of things that could have been done better, I'm always conscious of the sheer rebuilding task that had to take place at that football club. So this isn't kind of they should have done all this, but it's definitely things that could have been done. And if they haven't been done already, should be done much, much better in future. If you look at the kind of farce around season tickets in the summer, that was a joke. There was no explanation mm. given over why only a thousand were released. Why it only went back to season eighteen nineteen that fans were allowed. If you're going to put restrictions on fans for buying things, I think they deserve better than what they got. But this is hypercriticism because it's not. That's not a big thing to most fans. Um, you know, I think communication in general with supporters could be better. You know, I was lucky to go meet um, Van Stavely and Murdad. Uh, Do you see it, April? I think we had a, we had a great conversation then, and, and like we said. I think things in that respect are going to accelerate quite well. But really bigger picture stuff, like we've heard from the chairman of the football club once mm. when we bought the club. Like I, I, th- I think we as supporters, and it doesn't have to be like tomorrow, mm. but what is the long-term plan for this club? Like what, what are you, um, you know, is there going to be a new training ground? Is that a priority? Are you looking into the stadium? Like, the, these are things that um, I understand why football club owners stay away from them to a to an extent. But also, this was an ownership group who kind of talked a lot about transparency when they were trying to buy the club. Quite rightly so, and I agree with everything they said. Um, it would be great to kind of get a little bit more of that as we move forward. You know, that might take another year. I'm not mm-hmm. saying it has mm-hmm. to happen now. I'm just saying. In terms of things, if I look back at the last year or so, what could have been done better? I definitely think that's an area that could do with a lot of improvement. It's not important as winning games of football. It's just not. I w- you know, I wish it was, but it's just not. So I understand why they would prioritise building a football club and building a football team that is infinitely more important than you see her getting in front of a camera, um, yeah, talking about. But it doesn't mean you can't do both. It doesn't mean you can't do both anything else i think that's everything i had planned for you guys anything you guys want to say that you think we haven't talked about no i think i think we've covered it haven't we um i agree with your sort of little criticism points i think that there are that there's always room for improvement right even when we're like wow this is amazing you you should always be striving to be better in everything you do in my working life i do that in my life i try and do that and um and it's no exception for the club, so there's always there's always ways it can be better, but I'm pretty fucking happy with how it's going <laughs> so far. <laughs> yeah, you can't look forward to that anything other than um, optimism, can you? Um, now, I think it's going to be a very interesting few months ahead. Uh, you know, w- results-wise, we'd like to see an improvement just because we've been a little bit... Um, I, I'm going to try and use my words carefully. I'll, I'll say disappointed, but not, again, not because of the, uh, the level of performance or because um, we're... we're we look like a bad team, but because we haven't got the points we deserved for the performances. Um, and we've got that kind of thing looming over us of, of all these big players that have come to Newcastle and also looking ahead to the next transfer and it's like, well, if you want to buy more Sven Botmans and more Brunos, they're going to come to a, a club that's fighting for the top six. They're probably less likely to come for a team if we if we continue to drop points and, and stick around the mid-table. You know, it, it, again, it's it's wonderful not to even be looking at the bottom eight and thinking that's a, that's a ever going to happen again. But... It's, it's it's interesting and I think it's um I look forward to seeing how we how we tackle this and how Eddie Howe turns it round because we need to start winning some football matches um a bit more a bit more regularly. Um the the expectation that's come with being class again is is again happened far more quickly than I would mm. have expected. Now you can't help that. You can't help that people go to football matches, you know, they don't see Bournemouth at home as a as a relegation battler anymore. That's fine, that's that's fair. Um but maybe we do need to kind of just remember where that we, via the medium of listening to such great podcasts as this. <laughs> um that where we were just just well less than a year ago at the point of recording. So it's a it's an interesting one, but because of how fast this train is travelling it just it's just constantly evolving, and I, I, just, I love it. But it's 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 mad. It's wild. Yeah, I'll finish off um, with you know what uh, a, a thing for Amanda Stavely in particular. No one was doubted, particularly for some reason. Out the whole ownership group, no one was doubted more than she was. She you know um, she she doesn't know what she's doing. She's a liar. She's a fantasist. She has almost blown open 
the, this idea, this kind of fragile football, in my opinion, football ego, particularly in the Premier League, of like, this is the hardest thing in the world. Oh, so that, you know, my experience of dealing with Newcastle United before this takeover was like, it's just, this is just the hardest thing in the world. You know, you wouldn't understand. Like, it's I'm going to, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it's because she's female. Yeah. Because she's female. I think. And she's, she has not only proved that actually someone from without, as from outside of the game and a woman can come in and do well in this environment, but exceed the expectations, the very best expectations, in my opinion, they probably had of themselves. I don't know that, but to, to win as many games as football, I think I had a look, we've lost something like six for the last 25 in the Premier League, which is just, in the Premier League's a hard league. Like, yeah. that's why all the best players and managers are here. And to come in and, and do that, like you say, Si, with Emil Kraft playing a lot of those games at right back, <laughs> is just like, you know, I'd like to say I don't have the words, but I got to think of some. So I'd just say, um, I'm re- you know, really grateful um, and I also like Charlotte you just made the point about continued improvement I don't think anyone at that football club is sat there patting themselves in the back thinking job done um, you saw that this summer another what 122 million pound or something spent in the summer um, transfer brought window. in yeah it's a gr- grueling transfer window as well you know lots of lots of hits and lots of misses and yeah. lots of uh, having to go back the drawing board and this is the thing again I wanted to finish this show but <laughs> like <laughs> like how good has the transfer window been? Like fucking hell! Like yeah. you say, we, we me and Science put a Rafa Benitez was his manager here, and he, and he basically said like, if half of your signings work out, you've done all right because yeah. it's so hard to find, particularly from abroad, find footballers who are going to come in and and, and and like better your first team. Every single signing so far, every single one, um, yeah, is 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 has been better. And then to sign Burn, and then to sign Botman again for the same position. Wow. We're, we're impressed. We're impressed. <laughs> you know, let, let, let us know what you think um, on social media. Um, it's at TFNUFC, the True Faith Podcast account. And, um, you know, th- this is going to be a conversation for the next few weeks, I imagine, as we get closer to that um, to that one-year anniversary of October the 7th. But I'll leave it there. Thanks so much to you two, Charlotte and Sai, for joining me on this Sunday morning. Thanks to everyone who listens. We really appreciate it. We'll be back with uh, the free podcast. There might be another free podcast through the week. Uh, but there'll definitely be one this time next week, hopefully after we have smashed Fulham. Into smithereens. Thank you very much. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.